Hello, I'm Derek Walker. I'm the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church. And uh, in this series now, we're looking at the relationship between faith and works. How our faith uh, is to motivate us into good works. Because faith and works work together. Our works release our faith. They demonstrate our faith. And I'm trying to motivate you into a life of good works that please God. We are saved, of course, by faith alone, not by works. But then, if we truly have a genuine faith in our heart, it should produce genuine good works. You know, before we had faith, um, all our works were really just dead works. Um, But works produced by faith are good works uh, that please God. This is because faith comes from a revelation of God's grace through his word. And out of receiving God's grace through faith in our life, we are now inspired and motivated into a life of good works. So how does our faith motivate good works in our life? There's a number of ways, and we've talked about them as being gold, silver, and precious stones. Three ways in which we have works of faith. We saw before works of silver. Silver is the metal of redemption. These are works inspired by the past grace of God in Christ, by his redemption on the cross. And and his love for us revealed through that causes us to be so grateful for what he's done for us that we are inspired to live for him and and to follow his example of humility and and service. Uh, But today we're going to focus on another faith motivation which is our eternal rewards. Uh, This is the future grace of God that's promised to us. Um, We don't earn or deserve these by our works, but they are an aspect of God's grace. God doesn't have to give us rewards, but in his grace, he chooses to give us eternal rewards for how we have been faithful as, as as his servant in this life. So it's pure grace, but those rewards are actually a great motivation for us in this life. The Bible teaches that God will reward every good work with a greater measure of eternal glory. And if we truly believe this, it would motivate us tremendously to be zealous, to obey God and do good works, because every good work we do is going to increase our eternal joy and glory. And so faith in our eternal reward will, will inspire us, will motivate us, And and the knowledge of these eternal rewards will inspire us. That's why I wanted to talk about them. And in talking about these eternal rewards, uh, and today we're going to focus on the teaching of Jesus on these rewards, it will will inspire you to live a life so that you will enjoy these rewards. Uh, They're not selfish because if your desire is to be closer to Jesus and be more in his glory, then that will be your reward. If you want to serve him, then your reward will be greater opportunity and authority to serve him in eternity. And so it will be the fulfillment of your desire to be closer to the Lord and be his glory. And so we want to inspire you today by giving you knowledge about these eternal rewards that they will start to govern your thinking and your life. They're a major subject in the Bible. They're very important, but they're not taught enough in the church. The issue here is not 
whether we're going to heaven or not, I'm assuming that you've accepted Jesus Christ and his salvation. The issue is a different issue now. It's the degree of joy, the degree of glory, the degree of authority that you will possess throughout eternity. That is governed by how faithful you are now in your life of good works. Our faith here, now in the future grace of God, in our rewards, will produce good works. And these good works are as precious stones, as it were, in our crown. Whatever we do, whenever we do God's will to please him and to gain his praise, not the world's praise, but his praise and his reward rather than man's praise, then that becomes a precious stone that will be part of our crown in glory. Let's study these rewards. That will motivate us more. Hebrews 9.27 sets the scene. It says it's appointed to men to die once, and after this, the judgment, literally the separation. And so there's a coming judgment on all mankind. And as in our justice system, God's justice system, there are two stages of judgment. The first judgment is to decide your guilt or your innocence, whether you're righteous or unrighteous. And then, once that's decided, there's a separation of the righteous and the unrighteous. The guilty go to jail, the others go free. And this happens at death. After death comes the judgment. And whether you've accepted Christ or not, if you're righteous or unrighteous, at death, then you appear briefly before God and you are either go to God's jail or you go to a wonderful place called paradise. Uh, and the guilty then go to a holding cell called Hades. Then the second judgment is still future. And for the guilty, it's a judgment to determine the degree of punishment. We call it that you appear again before the judge for sentencing. And that's where the degree of punishment is decided. And then they are dismissed to their final place of punishment, which is the lake of fire, the permanent place. This happens at the great white throne at the end of time in Revelation chapter 20. Now for the righteous, they also have a follow-up judgment. But this is to determine their degree of reward. This is the judgment seat of Christ. And this will happen at the rapture. Uh, and after that, they are given their, uh, their, they enter the eternal state of glory. They are rewarded with a degree of glory and then they enter into their eternal state. So there are two stages. And, and truly, if we have accepted Christ, we have passed from judgment into life. And when we die, we go to be with the Lord. But we will still face a judgment for our works. We will not be judged for our sins because that's, they have been judged on the cross. And so we are safe in Christ, but we will still be judged for our works, to re for a reward. And God will enter, will bring us into account for everything that we've said and done. And then we receive the appropriate reward of glory. So let's let that motivate our life. Let's look at the teaching of Jesus on rewards. Uh, Matthew 6, he's got a lot to say about rewards. Take heed, he says, that you do not do your charitable deeds before men. And he's interested in our motivation. Oh, what's the motive? Is it before men, to please men, to get man's reward? He says, to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. 
Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your father, who sees in secret, will himself reward you openly. So he says it's very important what your motive is. That's the key. Is it the praise and the reward and the glory that comes from God, or the praise, reward, and glory that comes from man? That's why you need to get your eyes on God's eternal rewards and be motivated by them, because then you will produce a good work that God will reward you for. Um, if your eyes are on the praise of man, then you will not get any eternal reward. So this is a major motivation. Then he goes on in verse 16, he says, Moreover, when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites with the sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. He says, keep your eyes on the Lord. You're doing this unto the Lord for his reward. Verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where most and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That's eternal rewards. Where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. In other words, these rewards are eternal. They're everlasting. They don't get stolen. They don't get destroyed. They are permanent. They're eternal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's a very important principle. He says if, if your treasure, if your reward is, if, that you're looking for is the heavenly reward, if that's your motivation, then your heart will be on the things of the Lord, on heavenly things. So you're having the knowledge of rewards will help keep your heart on the Lord and will cause you to create good works. If your heart is motivated by heavenly reward, it will be looking to God, be looking to heaven, and it will produce good works. But if your heart seeks the earthly re reward, it will produce fleshly works. Also, Jesus said in Matthew 10, he who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. So Jesus wasn't afraid to talk about rewards. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. I want you to notice that Jesus sees even the smallest acts of kindness that are done with the right motive, and he will reward. Even if you give someone a cup of cold water, he will reward that. He misses nothing. He sees everything in your life. He weighs all your works, even your words. Matthew 12 says, Every idle word that men speak they'll give an account for in the day of judgment. For by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you'll be condemned. Another time in Matthew 19, Peter said to Jesus, See, Lord, we've left all and we've followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? And Jesus wasn't upset by Peter asking about his reward. This is all right. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. 
Part of the reward is authority. And everyone who's left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my namesake shall receive a hundredfold and in the age to come inherit eternal life. That means a greater degree of eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. He's basically saying the rewards will be generous They'll, and they will last forever and they will be a greater degree of eternal life. Praise God. And so whatever we give up now will, for the Lord, will, and for his name, will actually be multiplied to us in eternal reward that will be forever. The choice we face is actually the choice of say, if I said, look, I'll either give you 500 pounds now every day for the next week, but you'll get it now. Or you wait a month and I'll give you 10,000 pounds and that 10,000 pounds will last forever for you. Now, we can either live for now, unto self now, and get a little bit of reward, but no future reward, or we can deny ourselves now, live for the Lord, and we will then receive, when the Lord returns, a great reward that will be far greater and will last forever. It will be infinite. Well, we'll be perfectly happy in eternity, but our capacity for joy and for the glory of God is determined by the character we develop now, by the faith we develop now, by um, our faithfulness now. And so you can either be like a thimbleful of joy and glory, or you can be enlarged and be filled to a far greater extent with his joy and his glory. And so when you're selfish now, you actually will lose eternally as a result. Galatians 6 says, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. For he who sows his attention, his works, to his flesh, will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap eternal life. What he's saying is, whatever you sow into the Spirit, you'll reap a greater degree of eternal life. That's your rewards. Let us not grow weary, therefore, by doing good. For in due season we will reap. In eternity we'll reap everything we've sown in this life. In this life is the time for sowing. Everything we do, we are sowing, either good or bad. And we will reap the consequences of that in eternity. In due season we'll reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good. Let's do good works to all especially those in the household of faith. If we're motivated by our eternal re rewards, we will want to sow into our eternal future good works all the time. Praise God. The Bible says in Luke 14 that whenever we do something that's unselfish, we don't do it to get uh, the praise of man or, s or some selfish motivation. It says you will be blessed because, because they can't repay you, because man, you're not doing it for the praise of man. It says, you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Praise God. The time for these rewards is when we're raised from the dead. We'll stand before Jesus and then we will be given the reward according to everything we've done. Jesus talks in Matthew 7 about the man who builds his house on the rock and the man who builds his house on the sand. And then the storm comes. And one is built on the word of God by hearing and doing the word. 
And then when the storm of death comes, the house is still standing because what he's done in his life stands the test and it will be rewarded. His life's work will go through into eternity as his reward. But the one who built on the sand of his own thoughts, his own opinions, his own wishes, independent of, of, of the Lord, then death comes and everything he's done in his life is destroyed and he doesn't have any reward for that. And so we need to, the more we deny ourselves, now Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it, will find a higher life. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. He says every day we have a choice. We can either, as it were, lay down our own life, and then he promises we will be rewarded with a higher life, both now and in eternity, because he will reward us accordingly. So every time we deny ourselves and walk in love, we develop um, our character and the more of the God's glory can be developed in us and we have a greater capacity for his glory and that we will receive that glory as a reward in eternity. But if we hold on to our life and, and, and hold on to our soul, as it were, uh, instead of laying it down, uh, Jesus said, um, what, what's the advantage of that? if you gain the whole world even in your selfishness, but lose your own soul, you lose your capacity for life. He says, you will lose that eternal life, but if you do God's will now, you will gain a higher life because when Jesus returns, he will reward everyone according to his works. What you do with your money is very important. In Luke 16, it says, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. He who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. And, and what God is trusting us with now is relatively small because this life is a preparation for eternity. And, and we're playing for big stakes. If we prove ourselves faithful in the little things of this life, we will be entrusted with far greater responsibility and glory in eternity. He says, if you haven't been faithful, therefore, in your unrighteous mammon in the use of money who will commit to your trust the true riches you need to show yourself faithful in your finances if you want God to give you true eternal riches and if you've not been faithful in what is another man's who will give you what is your own and at the moment everything we have is not really ours because we can't take it into eternity with us whatever you own is not really yours it's actually just on loan to you from the Lord as it were you are a steward of the Lord's resources. It doesn't truly belong to you. But if you're not faithful with what he's given you in this life, then who will give you what's your own? And the eternal rewards that we receive is, will truly be our own because we will have them forever. They will truly be ours. But what we have forever with the Lord is determined with how we're faithful in the things of this life. And so when Jesus returns, he's going to judge his servants. Yes, even though we're saved, he'll judge us as servants for our works.
And this is a big emphasis in Jesus' parables. His last promises in the end of the Bible, behold, I'm coming quickly, I'm coming suddenly, and my reward is with me to give everyone according to their work. Jesus is coming, and he's coming for you, and you're going to stand before him, and he's going to render an account of your life, and he will reward you according to your work. The two parables that Jesus tells on this are very similar, that describe the judgment of God's servants that will happen at the rapture. The master leaves for a far country, just as Jesus left, leaves for the right hand of God. And it says he will receive authority to rule. He goes to receive a kingdom. Jesus went to the right hand of God and received that authority. And then after a significant time away, he returns. In the meantime, he's given the servants resources to work for him. And when he returns, he then will judge them. This is a picture of Jesus. He will return and he will judge us for how we have served him. One parable is in Luke chapter 19. Verse 11, it says, he spoke another parable. He was near Jerusalem, and they thought that the kingdom of God would appear immediately, when actually it was going to be a, a 2,000 years. Therefore, he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive him for himself a kingdom and to return. And that's Jesus. So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minas, and that's quite a lot of money, and said to them, do business till I come, occupy. Jesus wants us occupied, he wants us busy for him, till he comes. Notice that the money is the Lord's money, it's not the servant's money. And the citizens hated him, and sent a delegation after him, saying, we will not have this man reign over us. Notice there's a distinction here, there are the people of the city that reject him, they're the unbelievers, but the ser his servants are the believers. But when he comes back, we hear that he will destroy the rebels, the unbelievers, but he will also judge his servants and reward them accordingly. Two different kinds of judgment for the unbelievers and for the believers. All right, and so it's the believers, the servants are the focus of the parable. He gives us resources to serve him, and then he's gonna judge us for that. In Luke, they all had the same resources because we've all got the same supply of the Spirit and God's Word to use in serving God. But in Matthew, the servants are all given different amounts, Matthew 25, because in, in another angle, all our gifts and our callings are different. And so we're given different responsibilities and then we're judged on how faithful we are with whatever we've given, been given to do. When Jesus returns in the rapture, he'll call all his servants together to settle accounts. And they're judged, they're inspected, and they're judged. The works are anyway. And so our time, our money, our gifts, our strength, they're not really ours. They're entrusted to us to use for his glory. We are managers of Christ's resources, and therefore we have to give an account to him when he returns. And so it says that, so it was when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants whom he'd given the money to be called to him, that's the rapture, will be called to him, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. He's going to deal with the, the enemies later, but first he deals with his servants in the rapture. 
Then the first came, saying, Master, your mina has earned ten minas. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you were faithful in a very little, have authority over ten cities. Notice the main reward is that we have pleased the Lord. We've had his praise. And notice he's faithful. That's what he's looking for, is faithful. He doesn't looking for perfection, but he's looking for faithfulness. Even if we don't quite get it right, if we do it from the right heart, and want to be faithful to him, he will reward that. And notice he is very generously rewarded. Ten cities for ten minas. And uh, notice that, you know, he, he's given more authority and more opportunity to serve God. That's his reward. And so there is great authority given in eternity. Well, someone else comes with five minas and he was given five cities. So there's different degrees of glory and authority that different ones will receive because this other one only earned five minas. And so there's different degrees of reward. Then comes the other one who didn't do anything at all. He says, here's your mina, Lord. I put it away in a handkerchief. I feared you because you're an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit and you reap what you did not sow. Now the problem with this man is he believed a lie about his master, that he wasn't a generous master, that he was a very mean master and he would find any excuse not to reward him uh, and therefore he thought, what's the use of me doing anything because God isn't going to be pleased with what I do. And this servant got a real telling off and he lost all his rewards. This is the lazy servant. Um, God's given you something but you're too lazy to use it. The main thing is he did not believe in God's grace, that God would be a generous and gracious rewarder. And so he was not motivated to work for him. You need to realize God's generous, God's gracious, and anything you do for him, even if you're not perfect, but you do it with the right heart, he will reward that. He is very generous. All right? And then it says, bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. And what he's saying is, after the rapture and the servants are dealt with, then he'll turn his eyes on the enemies. And then comes the tribulation and the judgments when he's going to deal with all the enemies of God. In the Matthew Gospel, he says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Because you're faithful over a few things, I'll make you a ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. And I want you to notice the reward is also great joy in the presence of God, closeness to God, glory with God, you see. God is a generous rewarder. Every good thing you do will be rewarded. It's an infinite reward. It will last forever. Remember, God's looking at your whole life. He's recording everything, and he will reward everything. So shape up and live with your eyes on heaven and the coming rewards.